You're listening to NFT 365, the first daily podcast on NFTs with your host, Fanzo, talking crypto, blockchain, Web3, non-fungible tokens, metaverse, and what the f*** is a non-fungible token? We'll get to that. It's time for today's episode of NFT 365, the only daily NFT podcast minting an NFT every day for 365 days. Powered by the ADHD coin at rally.io, here's your host and digital futurist, the ADHD superpowered Brian Fenzo. This show is not financial advice, so do your own damn research. Welcome back to another episode of NFT 365. We are, of course, sponsored by the Crypto Business Conference, which is happening October 9th to the 11th in beautiful San Diego, California. And you know, one of the the you know aspects of that you know I really wanted to kind of tackle within really the origin of this podcast, really since the beginning, since you know uh, 240 plus episodes ago uh, when we were launching, as far as you know, what, what really was the reasoning for us doing the, not only the daily podcast, right. And like, you know, from a, from, from a standpoint of like, you know, from the outside, it can be looking at like, you know, what was the, the original kind of motivation for this. Right. And I've talked about it being like kind of the motivation of like, how do we establish trust? You know, what does trust look like? But you know, trust in this kind of like web three world is also something that can be, let's just face it. Um, it's a little bit harder up our head around. So I'm going to talk a little bit about that, but also talk about, you know, some of the, the conversations that I think are important to be had right now, both with those that are the non-believers, but also with what we're kind of trying to cre- create or amplify here in this space. And part of it is like understanding that, you know, sometimes what is launched or an NFT project that we, we kind of see in the market, uh, you know, out of the, off the jump is, you know, it doesn't really d- dictate or just, you know, kind of determine uh, what the success of this will be long-term. Right. And um, you know, I want to tackle a kind of example of that is actually one of the NFTs that we just minted um, this week. And so one of the NFTs we minted is actually from nice labs. Now, if you would have looked at this project, you know, from the, the high level, you know, it wasn't a project that had a lot of quote unquote NFT degen hype. Um, it was the, the, you know, the rollout of it from a, a standpoint of, uh, bringing it to life didn't have like the, a lot of the, like the names that maybe, uh, some people are, are paying attention to even some of like the roadmap and the utility. But the thing about it from a standpoint of understanding experience, this is one of the, the examples that I think we really need to hone in on is that, have we decided the idea of reverse engineering the utility of an NFT project back to the their ability to execute on it, right? So rather than determining the the success or the trust of an NFT project by like, okay, do we trust the founders? Do we trust the roadmap? Do we trust the utility and their focus on community? But in a bigger picture conversation, what if we started with the utility and just went backwards. And for me, part of it was like this project, which is called, it is the, it's from nice labs, but what they're building is the largest decentralized esports brand. And for me, you're like, okay, that, that might be a, you know, an interesting one as far as like, you know, um, a use case. But then when I went back and started kind of reverse engineering who they were, the brand itself, they're already established in this space. And so 
Definitely one to check out. It's actually our uh, number 241 in our Mint 365. But actually, that kind of plays perfectly into the episode of you know really understanding what it is, quote unquote, we're selling or we're positioning or why the hell do NFTs even matter or why does utility matter or does crypto matter or creator coins matter? And you know, the, the caveat to this oftentimes is like that we use words like community and we use words like metaverse. And I just think those are crutches. Like, honestly, when I, you know, when I'm in a Twitter space and I hear, you know, a founder say, well, you know, what we're building, you know, the core of what we're building is community. And it's like, you know how many brands have been promoting the, the core of what they've been building is community? Do you know how many events, online events, offline events, virtual events have promoting the fact that they care about the community? Like, uh, that, that's a little bit of an interesting kind of like um, segue. And then part of it that we also walk ourselves into is that there ends up being this idea of like, wait, couldn't we just do all of this with a credit card? Or didn't like our our punch tickets reward punch tickets that you get at your tropical smoothie or your frozen yogurt shop? Um, doesn't that qualify like as a reward system no different than NFTs? And to me, the reason that, that we have to like walk down that path is because I don't believe we've been we've been understanding how to present the tangible components that make up what we're building, right? And when I say tangible, it doesn't mean it has to be something on the roadmap or the actual, you know, delivered utility. But what I mean by tangible is something that the audience or who you're talking to can wrap their head around what they're actually getting by holding this, right? And that can be cryptocurrency, it can be creator coins or social tokens, it can be NFTs, or it could be even metaverse. And it's actually why I argue the metaverse conversation is the hardest right now. And it's actually why for the, for a lot of cases, I shy away from a lot of the metaverse conversation. But I will say metaverse is on my roadmap, right, of something that I want to help build out. But part of that problem becomes is like, what if I'm if I'm signing up to be part of a metaverse, or I'm buying metaverse land, what does that get me tangibly that I can't get anywhere else or that I currently can't get into Web 2.0 or that I didn't realize I needed? And this is actually one of the things that I think is, is so funny in, this, in these conversations because I hear this a lot. And you know, it's, it's, a, it's the quote that I use, and I actually use it the other way of what most people use it. You know, in the NFT space, you know, what I notice is that some people just kind of grab onto the same examples and they, you just see them kind of like spiral into all uh, websites. And one of them is like kind of the Henry Ford quote, right? Where the Henry Ford quote back in the day was that, you know, if he had listened to his audience, uh, he would have just built faster horses, right? Because his audience, you know, at the time, Henry Ford didn't real, they didn't realize the concept of a car existed or the idea of what the automobile would become. And so his whole phrase was like, I don't want to listen to the audience. I know what I'm doing as a founder and I'm going to deliver on that. Here's the problem. Henry Ford did not have Amazon. His audience did not have reviews. They did not be able to talk to their friends outside of their their neighboring colony. He didn't have experience. He didn't have uh, plenty of choices. Let's let's just be very clear on this. And so the idea that founders are like, hey, my audience doesn't know what they need. They just need to trust me. To me, is a little bit of arrogance and ego that doesn't get us far with people that are on the fence, right? People that are like. I don't really see what the blockchain does. And then they'll say like, 
crypto seems kind of like a scam. And all I hear about is like these coins that have become unpegged and aren't valuable anymore. And do I really need another currency? Because everybody converts everything to US dollar anyhow. And if everything's converted to US dollar, is it really going to ever replace the currency? And then people are like, well, NFT is like, I've heard they're like kind of scams and and people are getting arrested for selling them. And it seems like a wild, wild west that I don't want to play in. And and rightfully so, a lot of that narrative is coming from the place that as, as the you know, outside world, outside of our Web3 bubble, it, there's, we haven't given them tangible things to wrap their, their, their minds around or examples that make them feel like the change or the trust or even the financial obligation is worthwhile, and this is where I think this is the, the conversation that I think is so important is that it's not that people are like, you know, hey, I have to spend five hundred dollars to buy this, you know, this digital JPEG that supposedly unlocks things. But when people are, are kind of looking at that investment, right, five hundred dollars is just what I'm throwing out there. There has to be an idea of is it replacing something I existing and have or is it reimagining and giving me something that I didn't know I was missing or is it somewhere in that middle? And when I think about that Henry Ford quote, I think the, there's kind of like the two uh, narratives to this conversation. And one of them is, you know, the automobile didn't all of a sudden, you know, drop out of the sky and become like the thing that everyone wanted to embrace, right? Like there was the idea of like, wait a second, like with horses, we fed them with, you know, you know, food that the horses eat, right? Versus like now all of a sudden we have to get, you know, gas or we have to get, you know, a renewable uh, resource. And then like, how are these going to scale? And then let's face it, they, they weren't thinking like what, what effect does this have on the environment, right? Like the fact that we continue to make more cars every single day, every, every week, like, do we need more cars or do we need to improve our existing cars or get our existing cars to last longer, right? There's all that conversation in the car space, right? Since, you know, Henry Ford invented, um, you know, the automobile. And if we think about it in this transformation in web three, it really ties down to web two. Like I believe those of us that were all in on web two and, you know, Gary Vaynerchuk called me out saying I wasn't very mature in my approach to web two back in the day. But part of it, web two's problem was we couldn't explain what tangibly social media and content marketing provided for businesses. So for m- almost all of them for the first many years, and I mean, I would say almost 10 years, they looked at them as like, ah, Sure, you know those kids are on Instagram. They tell me I need a Twitter account, but you know, like I already have a digital marketing. I already have an ad budget, you know. And then it was like Facebook all of a sudden gave the brands and the the businesses data and information that they've been craving. And all of a sudden, Facebook became a no-brainer because all of a sudden, all of this data that we wanted from our customers and our clients was served up to us, and we could use that in a deliverable mechanism, which was Facebook ads, that scaled and that was, it was faster, it saved us money, and it was more targeted. And so if you think about it in the NFT space, what are we providing to people that is, it, you know, helps with you know, the speed of delivery of something? What are we providing for people that allows them to get to know others that they're connected with, which I think is part of the major value proposition here for NFTs. And then the third one of it is like, what are we allowing people to do that either 
can scale faster or that can can like remove some of the barriers that have existed um, in in the past. And so I'm going to tie this back to that community conversation, right? Like community is what I believe almost every human being in the world wants to be a part of, right? Like, and, and I don't care if you're introverted or extroverted, what it comes down to is a, we as humans don't want to be alone or believe that we are alone. And then B, what it comes down to is we want to surround ourselves with people that believe in the things that we believe in and that want to accomplish the things that we want to accomplish. I mean, look at religion, look at politics. I mean, like, look, look at those two, those two subsections, right? Religion and politics, right? The, the fact that people are, are, have, you know, go to a, a church or to a synagogue or to wherever they, they, you know, whichever you believe in where you practice and you're going there because everyone that walks in those doors have a shared purpose and like passion for believing in the same thing. Right. And, and a lot of times people talk about like they're finding, you know, finding whoever their, you know, the higher power is changing their life. What I believe oftentimes what that, what that really embodies is they found people to help them not feel alone and that by being there, it gives them a sense of like purpose and gives them the ability to maybe achieve or believe in what they believe at even a greater level. And so when we throw out things like community in the NFT space, it cannot be followed with, we have a big discord. It cannot be followed with, we have, you know, a a large Twitter following. It cannot be followed with, Hey, you know, people want community and they should be paying for this because, you know, we have a, you know, even like the, the phrase, like we have, like, this is the greatest community. And I'll, and I'll give a little rant here for a second. When someone I see when someone posts on social, especially on Twitter, and they say, "Brian, this is the greatest NFT community in the world." Do you know what my my question back to them always is? What other NFT communities do you belong to? And do you want ninety nine percent of people's answers are? Oh no, this is the only community I belong to. Like this is the greatest. Is the I don't need to belong to another one. It is the greatest community. Now let's be very truthful here. How do you know it's the greatest if you only belong to one, if you've only been a part of one? It's the greatest of what you've been exposed to. So it's the greatest one out of one NFT communities that you've ever been a part of. And I don't say that as in like um, kind of like, you know, an ego or like trying to break people down. But one of the things that we have to recognize is that by claiming like making claims or making those kind of statements without it having context or people being able to compare things is very difficult. And I will also say it's part of why I love what the NFT industry provides us because there is no niche, right? You can have a music NFT, an art NFT, an art NFT with utility, art NFT without utility. It can be one that is a metaverse game. It could be, you have so many different lanes that NFTs can help us in from events to, you know, um, sales and marketing to whatever that may be. But the thing about it is if with all those different, you know, components, all those different containers, it also, what it does is it makes it very difficult for us to compare one versus the other. And so when we think about the idea of like, hey, our value is community, well, what does that mean? And then the audience that you're speaking to, one of the things we have to think about is what do they visualize as community today? And are we replacing that? Are we reimagining that? Are we scaling that? Are we telling them that what they believed was community was broken? Which for some people it is, right? Like for some people that like their idea their view of what digital community is 
was having a following on Instagram. And it's like, is that a community or is that a following, right? Or their vision of what a community is, is like, hey, whenever I, I go to this, um, this morning coffee or this, this weekly um, virtual event, you know, I'm able to connect with the leader of this group and he runs a great community. Well, he might be, he probably has built a great network, but I'm not sure if that is actually a community because that community aspect is about connecting people with people within that group, right? It's that idea, that sense of belonging that I mentioned before. And so to kind of wrap this into that idea of like, how do we handle it if people don't believe in the tech, they believe that, you know, one of the underlying principles of this space is crypto and they believe that's a scam. And then they believe all they hear is bad news about NFTs being stolen and, and it being the kind of like the wild, wild west. How do we approach that in, in conversation? Well, it's we remove all of that vernacular, but we don't replace it with words like just vanity community or utility or, you know, we, we, we can't just throw those things out because as like as audience, as people that are consuming that, we have to have that something to compare it against or something to evaluate it against, or we have to be better at delivering that value. So when I, when I think about this from a standpoint of, you know, like I believe that I have, because I've minted an NFT every single day for 242 days, that I believe that I don't believe anyone has done that for the last 242 days that have, that have gone on 15 blockchains and done that. And so I, I believe I can provide, you know, the experience to say, this is what a good minting experience is. This is what a good website is. This is what a good, you know, tangible, um, you know, you know, let's just say roadmap or delivery of that is because I've been executing on that and I can compare it against all of these projects that I've actually, you know, let's just say that I've actually been researching while at the same time, because I've been doing a daily podcast and buying an NFT every single day, I am not as active in every single community of all of the NFT projects that I hold. And so I am not one to tell you what is the greatest way to design a Discord, uh, you know, a, a Discord architecture for a music-based NFT project. I can give you some ideas of what I believe has worked in some of the projects that I've been a part of, but I'm not one that is fully immersed in that. And so when we think about this and like I, I was thinking about this, especially from like the music uh, perspective, right? There are some musicians that I believe are, will be, you know, will be dropping their NFTs very soon. And many of them are very talented musicians and many of them have a fairly large uh, social media base. The part that I'm afraid they are going to miss out on is, well, first of all, I'm not even afraid. I know this is the case. They're going to miss out on the education, right? They're going to forget the importance of educating this, this existing audience on what you need to know and what you need to set up and the accounts you need to set up to, you know, to jump into this NFT. But let's throw out the education piece for a second. What I believe that second part is, is that how are you going to compare that to what your audience already has in the deliverable of that like fan relationship for the musician? And I know I talk about this a lot on the here, but like Dave Matthews Band, right? I, I've been a Warehouse member since the second year that Warehouse came out back in 2005. But here's the, here's the truth. If Dave Matthews, which, hey, if someone on his team is listening, I'd love to help build a strategy for an NFT project. But if Dave Matthews was building an NFT project, I know that audience pretty darn well. Been to you know, 70 plus concerts, right? The, that here's the thing about what that value prop would need to be is that I know as a Dave Matthews band fan, what we care about, right? The fact that there's, there's a, a Facebook group called the DMB couch tours 
And every single concert, there is at least one person Facebook living into that Facebook group that we get to watch all of the streams live. And Dave, years ago, gave up and said, hey, I'm going to stop blocking people from streaming my music or capturing it. I'm just going to embrace it. So he lets people you know, put up their satellite uh, poles with their microphones on it. People are live streaming. I, I watched a show last night, uh, one of Dave's shows, and it felt like the person was on stage with him. And so if someone was like presenting, like if, if Dave hired a, I'm, I'm putting air quotes up there for the audience. If Dave hired a music NFT marketing agency, I guarantee they would be like, you need to give people access to your music, Dave, your live streams. You need to put all of those out there. And the, the problem with that is uh, you don't know the audience and you don't know that the delivery mechanism for that already exists. And guess what? Most of us love it. Like if you had told me that Dave is, Dave Matthews is dropping an NFT project and he's going to stop that Facebook group and stop people from live streaming the music on the different websites that exist from ants marching and different ones. And he's going to force it all in a discord. I would hate that NFT project and I would not want to be a part of it. So if we think about this, right, the, the bigger conversation of what needs to be had here is that when we are presenting this information and we're looking across the board, especially if someone doesn't like the tech and someone you know, isn't sure about crypto and is confused about NFTs, is we really do need to reverse engineer from the standpoint of like, what is currently the audience visual or example of what we're providing? And then what are we providing? And it, and it can be, just re, be clear, it can be a simple replacement, right? Like let's, let's, let's not like kind of, let's not minimize the fact that we don't always have to reimagine or reinvent, right? Like, and, I, and I'll use the example that everyone uses because I just like the example still, right? Uber did not reinvent or didn't invent the idea of, of hauling, you know, hailing a car to drive you from point A to point B so you don't have to drive. The taxi cab already existed, right? What did they do? They all of a sudden made it easier. They made it in our phone for payment and structure. They allowed us, uh, you know, the ability to ride in a vehicle that it was different than what we were, you know, presenting. And they were also able to like, in, in many ways, make us feel safer, even if we weren't safer. They presented that, that view. And so they didn't reinvent, but they did reimagine the way that it is packaged, and so I look at NFT projects now when I'm researching them for, you know, I'm researching one right now that we're, that we're thinking about minting on Thursday. And what I'm kind of evaluating is how much do I trust this team to reimagine what they were really good at executing in the Web 2 world into the Web 3 world? Because I will, I will leave you with this piece to, to, to wrap our minds around. One of the things that I've heard a lot lately on podcasts where people are interviewing you know, influencers or, or big NFT investors, and what they say is oftentimes, well, I pick projects where the founders have already proven that they could execute on that exact deliverable in Web 2. And the truth is, just because someone could have delivered it in Web 2 does not mean they have the team or the capability to reimagine it in Web 3. But if they have the track record of reimagining and reinventing in Web 2, which let's just be very clear on that, innovation happened across Web 2 from day one to where we're at now. Remember, Instagram rolled out as a platform that did one thing and one thing well, and it was sharing photos. Now Instagram does 771 things not really well and it's very confusing interface and I have to swipe left, right, upside down, backwards. The reels go up, up you know, one direction or the other. Now they're posting to Facebook and to uh, all these other places and I get a crater dashboard. Let, let's be real. Like Instagram in Web 2 reimagined itself 50 times. 
I would argue not for the better, but it also had, it understood that reimagining. So for me, the piece of this that now I'm taking this a, a step deeper is that I don't just need to know that someone or some brand or some people had executed in web two. I want to know how open and willing are they to change? What is their adaptability? And then even at a bigger picture, how good are they at communicating to their audience the, the need and the desire to change without presenting it as change? Because I, I've said this a lot, right? Like nobody, no one likes being forced to change and nobody signs up for change right now. Like, I mean, I don't know about anybody listening to this podcast right now, but I would sign up for the next 12 months of not having one, like, uh, let's just say, uh, cat- not catastrophic means it's a bad one, but I, I would sign up for having one 12 month period where nothing major happens, good or bad. Like, I would love to just have the next 12 months of no, like, I'm so tired of like turning the news and like the first time in history, or this is the, this is a, you know, this event has never happened before. I'm like, you know what I'm tired of? Those events. Like, I, I, I could use 12 months of not having all that, right? So, in, in a way, what we have to, we have to recognize is that, if we are talking to people that don't want to change, hate being forced to change, and in this current state are, are, are so overwhelmed, then we have to be really good at presenting our messages to these audiences that doesn't feel like change. Rather, it feels like tangible representations of things they can already wrap their head around. And I think the projects that are going to be doing that, like let's just say the whole summer and into the fall, are the ones that are going to have that long-term success. So hopefully that kind of you know got you thinking on what your favorite projects are to invest. Maybe even what got you thinking um, about you know maybe the NFT projects that you want to create yourself. And of course you know our sponsor Crypto Business Conference, which is happening uh, October 9th to the 11th there in beautiful uh, San Diego, California. You know that's what they're you know really focused on, and and what I think is is beautiful about this. Pro, you know this event is that you know they have a, a networking plaza that is set up, which is like you know themed tables and meetup opportunities. So for anyone that's been to a lot of these events, it was kind of hard to find people that like wanted to talk about the same things you wanted to talk about. Like if you were a, a, a de- developer or maybe you were in the music space, like you had to go to like the music talk. But then like after the person was done talking, like how did you find others that were there? What's beautiful about this event for Crypto Business Conference is they actually have a networking plaza with those assigned tables that are themed. So you'll see tables that have the different names on them. And the reason I can say this with like tangible visibility is that I've already been to their events for eight years. And this was one of the things that people loved about the past events that they put together is these great networking plazas. So definitely check out uh, the crypto business conference happening in San Diego, California. And I will leave you with this, you know, as much as change is scary, as much as change can be overwhelming, as much as like this space right now can be um, a lot for us to handle. There's one thing that you, we have to just kind of own when it comes to change. And that is that, you know, change is not the result of just bad decisions or wrong decisions. And I think oftentimes that's how we look at change. We're like, oh, I have to change where I live. I have to change my kid's school because my kid got kicked out of this school or whatever that may be. Well, what if you're changing just based because the information you have at your disposal right now is better information than you had previously? 
that's actually changed just based on the data at your disposal is better and different. And so I think we can look at change as not something that has to be as overwhelming, that doesn't have to be bad and doesn't have to be something we feel forced to do. And I think if each of us kind of look at change um, through that lens, I think we can make this whole kind of transformation, this migration into Web3 uh, a little bit smoother and hopefully uh, a little bit easier for all those involved because there's one thing that I remember from those Web2 days is that, man, I mean, I did not love seven plus years going into giant corporations and them saying, Brian, we already have an online community and we use social media. Didn't you see our Twitter account? We post our, our press releases once a week. Okay. You just taking what worked in Web1 and blasting it out on Web2 does not mean you embrace the change that Web2 has to offer. And I'm really hoping that we don't walk down that same path here in Web3. As always, thank you guys so much for tuning in. If you love the podcast, make sure you do hit subscribe, punch that subscribe button, I don't, or follow button if you're on Spotify. Or maybe you're like, you know what? I like listening to the podcast, but I also, you know, I would love to watch the video side of this. Um, you know, we are on YouTube as well. Just search NFT365 and then hit that subscribe button there over on YouTube. So until tomorrow, my friends, make it a great day. Cheers. 